Let us pray. Silence now in us any voice but your own, gracious God. And into that silence, speak your word of hope, and your word of grace, and your word of mercy, and your word of comfort, and your word of love. For Christ's sake and in his name we pray. Amen. Friends, our epistle lesson this morning is from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church beginning at the 13th verse of the fourth chapter. Let us hear God's word. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Are you familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief, developed in the late 1960s. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, Kubler-Ross scholars and advocates acknowledge that this approach has often been conceived of as a process a kind of checklist where you move from one stage to the next to the next in a linear fashion until you land at acceptance. They understand now, as do many psychologists, that grief does not work that way, that grief is not a process. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but my own personal experience and the experience of so many of you has taught me that that's true, that grief, for want of a clinical term, is a journey. Sometimes it's a journey absent a map. Sometimes it's a journey that goes forward and backward and sideways, sometimes all at the same time. Sometimes it's a journey that pauses for a brief while or a long while, but it's a journey that asks the question, how do we live missing those we've lost? Well, perhaps the first step in the journey is to acknowledge grief itself, its power and presence and reality, its sense of loss and diminishment. Our house was fans of the earlier iteration of the TV show called Will and Grace. It's back. I don't know if you knew that. And in the newly revamped version of Will and Grace, Rosario, 
who's Karen's maid and sparring partner and best friend, dies. Now Karen, true to form, spends the length of the funeral at the bar, drinking. But later, alone, she moves into the room where the casket is and sits by it for a very long time. People keep asking, what do you need? What do you need, Karen says to the casket mocking everybody's tone. And then she crumbles just a little. I need for you not to be gone. I need for you not to be gone. That's what we want, right? A spouse, a child, a parent. 26 Baptists in Texas. We need them not to be gone. A dear friend of mine died in August, a Presbytery minister, 59, whose family cared for me greatly when I was just a young ministry intern. I attended her funeral in Indianapolis. A mentor of mine took on the brave task of preaching, and he did not flinch one little bit. He raged against the cancer that took her life. He acknowledged all that we were experiencing We are a community of broken hearts, he said. A community of broken hearts. And we are, even now in this place. A community of broken hearts, yet we are not weak in our brokenness, nor are we without faith or consolation or encouragement or hope. Paul understood this. In what is likely the oldest of Paul's letters, he writes to a Thessalonian community asking real questions about loved ones who have died. Paul writes that he does not want the church to grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul continues with very little detail about what this looks like, about what reconciliation and reunion look like. We grieve, yes, Paul says. But we do not despair. Our grief does not have the final word. The scholar Jane Patterson writes that Paul seeks to make ultimate realities that are beyond ordinary sight so real that we can entrust ourselves completely to them. Yes, our loved ones have died, but we remain in community with them. Paul's vision, Patterson says, is that heaven and earth are suddenly and beautifully reconciled in an embrace that takes place in a newly opened space between heaven and earth and which will never end. We have hope, Caroline Lewis writes, from which we find comfort, encouragement, and faith in the face of our loss. Because Jesus died and rose again, this hope is not wishful or fanciful thinking. It is grounded in the comforting presence of Christ. And then Lewis writes this. Paul is not saying the community should not grieve. On the contrary, grief is the expected emotion when faced with the painful loss of a loved one. At the same time, The grief of the believer is grounded in and defined by hope. The grief of the believer is grounded in and defined by hope. 
This interconnectedness of the profound emotions of grief and hope is a mark of a community who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. We are a collection of broken hearts, formed into a community of broken hearts, and we are not without hope now or ever. We trust God in the promises of faith for us and for those who we love. Because Easter is not a one-time thing, we hold a long-term view about reconciliation. And that same hope allows us to face the immediate reality of grief differently. What does that look like? Anne Lamott writes that you will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up, and you come through. It's like having a broken leg, Lamont writes, that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. In his new book, Promise Me Dad, former Vice President Joe Biden, who lost a wife and daughter decades ago and a son in just the past year, describes how he explains to people in mourning that their sadness will last a long time and that the smallest sensory cue, a song or a scent, may bring forth in sudden and painful fashion a vivid memory of the departed. That's true for me, I can tell you. And yet Biden tells them the time will come when the memory will bring a smile to your lips before it brings a tear to your eyes. I hope that's true. I hope that can be the case for you, for us, in your and our journey with grief, that you can dance even with a limp, that a smile can intercede at times through the tears. And even when that cannot be the case, I pray and I hope that you, that we can find hope, can find consolation and encouragement in community, can find hope in the face of our grief as we cling fast to one another and cling fast to the promises of our faith the promises of resurrection and reconciliation and reunion, that the ones we have lost have been granted eternal rest and that perpetual light shines upon them. Amen.